My name is Matthew Becker. As the owner of a fitness facility and an attorney, I have a lot of things that I need to get done in a day. I've spent the last few years developing strategies that allow me to constantly move forward while also living the best life that I can live. On this podcast, I share those strategies with you along with other thoughts and ideas that allow you to live your best life through the concept of the aggregation of marginal gains. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the stronger revolution this is matthew becker here to continue in our series on developing mental toughness as i like to do at the start of each episode let's quickly go through a recap of where we are in the series that we are doing currently on developing mental toughness so we started a couple episodes ago first with developing self-awareness. We need that self-awareness so that we can look at ourselves as much as possible from a neutral third party position so we can kind of be able to gauge how we're reacting to certain situations, things that start to trigger our anger or our fear or start to knock us down a little bit so that we feel weak or reactive to a particular situation. Then, we talked about defining our values. We used other individuals who we like and admire as role models and then attempted to start modeling their values um, in our own lives. And on the, you know, then on the next episode, we talked about preparation and using those values that we essentially steal from our role models to start to prepare ourselves each day for things that we may encounter in our day that because of the self-awareness that we already have, we know what kinds of things are typically our triggers for what would be the opposite of mental toughness, which would be mental weakness. Just allowing ourselves to go up and down all day long, set off here, relaxed here, bummed out here, really happy here. You know, we're, we're trying to maintain an even level of composure throughout our lives. And then in the last episode, we looked at how we can use this mental toughness and these uh, steps that we're taking in order to develop mental toughness as a way to start to develop a sense of uh, happiness that is this ever-present happiness that is unshakable and is, is more akin to sort of a, a contentment than it is, again, really like high highs and low lows and um, happiness that is caused by you know external things like drugs and alcohol or um, eating or filling our, our wants over our needs. Um, but instead how we can use mental toughness and modeling values um, in order to create an active, long-lasting happiness that involves us internally and is non-contingent on something external. All right, so where are we moving to now? Hopefully you read the, uh, the title of this episode and maybe you're a little fearful going into today. I really need to see if I can find a loop that I can 
plug in here to see if I can get any kind of spooky music. But anyway, we are moving into the episode of talking about removing fear and anxiety from our lives by developing mental toughness. So when we're talking about developing mental toughness and effort to overcome fear, what we're talking about is again, this remaining composed and clear-headed in the face of great or even small danger. And that danger can be defined in many different forms. Um, it could be something like um, a car accident, you know, something that is really extreme. It could be the pending hurricane that's coming up the coast to your house. You know, that, that, that could cause a, an immense amount of fear. Um, but it could also be something very small, like what's going to happen if my client doesn't show up today? You know, that's still some level of fear. Um, I have a very small theory. Maybe if I can ever get Adam back on the show, I should discuss this, this theory with him. And I've, I've tried to look around before as to whether or not um, there is actually a philosophy based on this, but I've been unsuccessful at finding one. But I have this theory, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> theory. Yeah, it is a theory. I have this theory that everything in our life is somehow motivated by fear. And so the topic of this episode of being able to utilize mental toughness in order to overcome fear is kind of puts me into this giant loop of, of thinking because if I want to argue that every action we take, every decision that we come upon is in some way linked back to a fear, then how do we overcome that fear? Is it possible? Let me use an example. Um, as much as, let's say, let's say, let's say here, as much as I say that my purpose and motivation for running a gym is because I truly believe in helping people. And the way that I believe that I can help people is uh, by helping provide them a way to increase the healthiness of their life. Okay, so I provide them with diet, nutrition, and habit-forming um, exercises and instruction and fitness and CrossFit and all this other stuff so that I can improve the healthfulness of their life. Anyway, so I say that's my purpose in life. That's why I do this. That's my goal, etc., etc. However, there is a monetary value that is attached to me being able to do that. In the end, does it really matter how much I feel like I want to help people and that is my primary motivator? Is it really that in today's society, and it's not just today's society, it's all societies, right? It's, it's, it's pretty much society and history. In society, you have to have money in order to survive. It, bottom line, you have to have money in order to survive. Sure, you can go off, you could live on a convent or you, know, you could... Um, join like a, a Buddhist monastery and apparently they they are able to survive in these communes without any money exchanged, but we're keeping it here on money as this great motivator. So in the end, I have to have money in order to sustain some kind of life. 
The opposite of that is that I don't have any money and therefore I cannot sustain any kind of well-being in life. It doesn't matter how, you know, how rich or anything else. As long as I can afford, uh, afford my basic needs, then I'm sustaining some sort of life. But I have to have money to do that. So as much as I want to say I'm motivated to help people because I really just want to help make everybody uh, healthier, in the end, I also have to be paid in order to do that. Because if that's how I'm going to have my life, if that's how I'm going to sustain my life, then I have to receive some sort of monetary value so that I can use that monetary value to go out and pay for other things so that I can live a life. So in the end, am I really motivated by my desire to help people or am I motivated by my fear of not being able to sustain my life if I don't work and make money? Fear, I think, is a very strong motivator. And I could use other examples of this. Um, let's see. What would be another example? I need to go see my grandmother. Let's say that. Okay. I might just like to go and see my grandmother on Sunday afternoons. And I might tell people that I like to go see my grandmother on Sunday afternoons. But in reality... Am I only going and seeing my grandmother on Sunday afternoons because one, I'm afraid she's going to die or two, I'm afraid I'm going to receive some sort of backlash either from my family or some other stigma in life if I don't go visit my grandmother. Again, is it really, is there a, a fear or a motivation that is caused by fear? Hey, hold on a second. Ah, look at this. It's Adam Grombush. What? No, it's not. Yes, it is. I thought I just heard somebody come in. I slammed the door by accident. Uh, I heard. Hey, um, pausing for a moment. I was just talking. Hey, this is perfect timing. I can now discuss my, my theory with you about fear. I'm sorry, listeners. You're going to have to go through this again. I'm afraid to hear it. <laughs> hey, Adam, what's going on? Uh, not much. Doing well. Okay. I know, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but uh, it's been a while. So, where have you been? Oh, doing school and stuff. School. Going on retreats and camping with Bruce. All yeah. sorts of fun things. Well, cool. Family visits. Yeah? Is your dad gone now? Yes. I mean, not, not gone. He's still with us. I mean, not really. In spirit. No, with he's us. with us in Florida. <laughs> so, he's taken off. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Who's the next parent to come in and hang out? My mom's coming in May. Yeah? And then Hillary's dad in June. Probably her mom sometime in there, too. We keep the revolving door. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Okay, well, anyway. So, to bring us back around to fear, um, we're talking about fear. I'm, I'm assuming, of course, that you've been following along with the last series of episodes on mental toughness. Yes. Yes, good. That's a, that's a proper answer. Um, oh, shoot. I had a story to tell you about our one listener. So now we're oh, on a double no, tangent? No, listen. <laughs> yeah, we're on a double tangent. The listeners love this. <laughs> so I was talking to our single listener last week who said she was binge listening to the show. She was just listening to a whole bunch. And yes. she really likes the episodes when you and I are together. Thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't Rebecca, so maybe we got two listeners. Oh, nice. Sweet. Okay, anyway. 
this is episode number five on mental toughness. We're talking about fear and utilizing mental toughness in order to overcome fear. Mm-hmm. Mental toughness is defined as being able to maintain a, your composure regardless of the situations that surround you. Yeah, cool. I read the show notes. All right, Seth. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Anyway, I was just explaining that I have this theory, and then I made fun of it and called it a theory. <laughs> <laughs> I have this theory that everything we do in life, regardless of what we try to tell our motivation is, is actually motivated by fear of something else happening. Whoa. Your thoughts. Whoa. I know, I, I just spawned that you're on You're saying me. everything? Everything. You can link everything you do back to a fear of something else happening. Hmm. I, I think maybe at some level... But I don't know that I'm always on the defense in life. I think sometimes give I me like, an example. Give me like an example. to take the offense. We'll see. But you're going to twist it to create a fear in me that that's, I think I don't have. That's my point. That's my point. <laughs> because think... I've already started going through them. I'm like, well, why do I work out? Well, because, because I have a, a fear of looking a certain way, or, or maybe or being, being unhealthy. unhealthy. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, dying yeah. early. Um, I don't have a fear of dying early. Well, okay. But so why do I wear my seatbelt? Because you're law. Because I have a fear of getting a ticket. A fear of getting a ticket. And if you're dying in a stupid way. Of getting in a car accident and dying. I mean, I say a stupid way. Like, I right. feel bad for people. Why do I drink caffeine? Way. Because I have a fear that I'm not going to be alert mm. and, like, ready enough in my day. Wow. Think about it. It's going to blow your mind. Okay. I haven't... I keep... I was telling the listeners... I keep trying to find somebody... I, I'm, I cannot be the originator of this theory. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I keep trying to find like somebody who has already come up with a philosophy that this is all based around. Um, I can't find it. Unless I think it might be hedonism, which is the opposite of fear, which is basically living every le- living your life with everything pleasurable you can possibly have. Right, right. Which could be the opposite of fear, but I'm not, I don't know yet. Well, but I think even, you could probably argue in that circumstance that those people are just fearing not having the maximum amount of pleasure possible. But there we go. And that's their motivation. Hmm. But I don't know that that's our sole motivation, right? I, I think there, there is a defensive aspect to things like why I want to work out, but there's also a, an offensive aspect of I'm going to pursue this to make my life better. Not out of necessarily fear being the only motivator, but a motivator. A motivator? I think a motivator, not the motivator. It doesn't have to be the motivator. Okay. Um, hmm. Okay, that gives me something else to think about. Like, why do I want to love my wife well? It doesn't have to be... Because you're afraid she's going to leave if you don't. I'm not afraid of that, though. No? I don't think that's a possibility. You don't think so? I don't live with that fear. You're you're not afraid that if you stop loving her, that maybe you won't be able to find anybody else that's as great as she is? Well, I know I won't find anybody else as great as she is. Okay. So you better keep loving her. But I'm saying, I think that that may be a small minutiae part of it, but I think the larger part of why I love her is because the the positive aspects. Like what? Like, uh... I really put you on the spot there. Like trying to, uh, you know, be a good husband, make her her feel nice on the inside. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. We don't have to have this debate right now um, on the podcast. Um, Okay, so we're talking about fear. And ultimately, we want to develop mental toughness to overcome that fear. So we are developing mental toughness so that regardless of what the situation is around us, we are not allowing fear to be our sole motivator in order to do something. Um, There are four different ways that we have come up with in order to develop mental toughness against fear. Four. These four ways are first, 
is what we call, well, I didn't originate this, is what is called a reserve clause. A reserve clause is essentially the idea that we perform every action with the understanding that the outcome is entirely in our control. And this is a topic that we've covered on the podcast before, in which we have to accept to some extent that life outside of our brains is not entirely in our control. And sometimes even within our brains. Well, you know, if you have, if you have a fever or, or like a imbalance of certain yeah. hormones. And I mean, who was it? Rene Descartes said, I think therefore I am. Did I just butcher that? I think that was Rene Descartes. That's a, oh, I don't know who said it. Um, it wasn't Blaise Pasquale. I think it was Rene Descartes. Just go back and bleep it and then they'll have Yeah, to no, and then I'll be like, yeah, nope. Anyway, I think it was Rene Descartes. And then a criticism of I think therefore I am is, well, what if there's something in your brain that's causing you to think and therefore you're not because something is causing you to think that. Hmm. Um, so anyway, beyond that point, anything outside of our brains we cannot control. Um, so it really doesn't matter how much we prepare. In the end, we cannot fully control the outcome. Right. So we can be afraid or um, either afraid of what the outcome could be or allow the outcome to cause fear if we don't maintain a reserve clause. So the reserve clause idea is that regardless of what we do, we always maintain that little voice in the back of our head that says Mm -hmm. we don't actually control the outcome. We're going to accept the fact that we don't control the outcome. Therefore, we're not going to fear. You're you're limiting your expectations. Exactly. We are limiting our expectations. Exactly. Number two, premeditation on adversity. Uh, We like to talk about overcoming adversity on the show. And we have also talked in episode three, yes, of this series about preparation. So the idea of preparation for adversity is if we approach every action with a reserve clause, accepting that we may fail, then it follows that we should anticipate a whole range of setbacks that could happen Mm -hmm. as we move about through life. Fear is an expectation that something bad could possibly happen. Fear is always a projection of something in the future and is not something that is happening currently. I've said on the show before. Except for spiders. You cannot be afraid of something that is currently happening to you. You can only be afraid of something that you think is going to happen to you in the future. I'm only afraid of spiders when I see them. Because you're afraid of something that could potentially happen to you in the future. Their existence alone. Impossible. (laughs) Impossible. Uh, Okay, if we can premeditate on the adversity before it happens, then we can essentially build emotional resistance by realizing... Mm -hmm. It's probably not really that. So that's kind of like points two and uh, one. Yeah, one and two are kind of you're you're protecting your expectations on both ends. Yes. Um, Whether from the negative or from the positive, the things that you think you can control being the positive and the things, the worst case scenarios that you're fearing being the negative. So, yeah. So I guess the way that you would put those two things together is you're always keeping that voice in the back of your mind that you don't actually control the outcome. Mm -hmm. So you're, you are preparing as much as you can with the understanding that ultimately Mm -hmm. it could end up differently. Sure. And then secondly, you can start to imagine everything that could go wrong. So therefore you understand that these are things that could go wrong and you can mentally prepare for, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. if that goes wrong, 
I'm ready for it. Yeah. And when I was reading these notes, I was thinking through uh, something that I teach in school. It's called the engineering design process. Um, and it has to do with, uh, it's basically what makes an engineer an engineer. It's the way that they go through this cycle of, it, it's iterative and it's it's all about making something better over time. Isn't your wife an engineer? She is. Did she teach you this? Mm, no. Okay, but, continue. Um, and so... They, they look at failure as a good thing. It's an opportunity to learn from your prototypes. Um, they, they welcome that adversity because they're saying, okay, now from here, I'm going to be able to make it better. Now, obviously, at a certain point in the system, you don't want it to fail like when Samsung phones are blowing up on planes. Right. Um, but when you're just designing something or when we're imagining the possible outcomes, uh, brainstorming, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to kind of maybe imagine the failure before it comes or you know, all the different scenarios. And if it does come... See that as an opportunity to learn and grow. Right. Like an engineer. Like overcoming adversity. Then you can make the next iPhone. It's never a failure unless you didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number three, emotional habituation. These are some really big terms that basically mean desensitizing yourself to the things that you fear. There are two ways by which you can habituate yourself to your emotions. One is to do this in reality. You mentioned you're afraid of spiders. So a way that you could overcome your fear of spiders is by slowly exposing yourselves to spiders over time, realizing is that, that legal? most of them... <laughs> <laughs> hey, spider, look at me! <laughs> hey, if that's the way that you overcome fear, just don't do it in public. They call them the spider streeters. <laughs> don't do it in public. <laughs> anyway, eventually, you would realize that spiders are probably not really that big of a deal. Until you find, like, the Black Widow, yeah, and yeah, yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. you're afraid of things that could possibly happen in the future. Right. Another way that we can use emotional habituation is through our imagination. So, psychologists have found, uh, you know, they mm-hmm. have yeah, found, that's easy to say. they, that you can use imagination um, as much as reality in order to sort of desensitize yourself to things that you fear. And the way that you have to do this is you basically have to provide yourself space to really concentrate on the emotion that you receive when you think about something that you fear. And I I get the fear, the emotion would be fear, but you're going to get a lot of other emotions when you think about things that you fear. Hmm. Um, And you have to sit with it long enough and make it real enough that it is actually like experiencing that fear. Um, if you are doing this alone, just be careful. Like the Boggart in Harry Potter. It's uh, a creature that turns into the just, thing you fear the most. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you I, need I'm, to spend, on, you need I'm some, on book one re-listening to spend, Harry Potter. I'm re-listening. I'm on book five. Oh, sweet. Spend some time with your Boggart. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds... Anyway. All right. And finally, number four is to develop your inner citadel. I like this one because is it the Citadel uh, University, like military yes. university? Yes. I always thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. It'd be like, I go to the Citadel. It sounds cool. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Anyway, so since I didn't get to go to the Citadel, I'm going to develop my own inner Citadel because it's all for me. You're not allowed to say that word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> citadel. Ah. All right, we've talked before. Um, that nothing is inherently positive or negative. It is merely our judgments of what is happening or what has happened um, that to us make it as either a positive or a negative. 
And the For more example, that, it's snowing on April 21st. Yes, that could be a positive, could be a negative. And it's your judgment of it that determines whether or not it's a positive or a negative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the more we can accept this outlook on life, the more we can retreat into our minds to regain the control. So I will say again, the snow outside is not either good nor bad. It is just, it's just snow. It's just snowing outside. It is what it is. It is the weather. I might instantly think of that as a bad or a negative thing. Um, The more that I can accept the fact that snowing outside is what it is, the more that I can realize that it is my mind and it is my judgment of that as being negative and I can then start to flip that. Mm-hmm. We've got two principles that are going to help you develop your inner citadel. One, understand that everything that we see is constantly changing and will soon be gone. And so we should bear in mind how many things have already changed over time. Uh, there's an old... Um, I really need to look up these names before I talk about them. There's a Greek philosopher who basically uses the analogy of throwing a rock in a river. Whenever you throw a rock in the river, you're never throwing the rock in the same river because every second, the water that is currently there is now gone and is further down the river. Oh, currently. Get it? Currently. That's <laughs> right. So every time you throw a rock in the river, you're throwing a rock in a different river mm-hmm. because everything passes. Well, Yep. Think about that. Number two. The second principle that we need in order to develop our inner citadel is the understanding that external things cannot touch the soul, Mm. but our disturbances all arise from within. Mm -hmm. So again, it is you who are passing the judgment on something as good or bad. Yeah, which goes back to those things that you can control, right? So everything outside of you is outside of your control. Part of building that citadel is controlling what you can Accepting that you don't control anything outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. All right. Adam, anything left to add? Oh, had a thought it disappeared. Oh. Hey, one other thing. So that other listener that I was talking about that likes it when you're on the show. Yes. Also said, oddly enough, she wishes our episodes were a little bit longer. Ah, well, okay. Good. All right. Then here we go. I'm going to bring us down a little rabbit trip. Um, <laughs> no, let's not. We got to uh, wrap up. Uh, okay. Right. I did have a thought. Oh, go ahead. I mean, you can start well, to share your thought. Yeah, it was just about, it was back to our... Is it a good con- thought? It was everything. It was back to our earlier conversation. Is if everything we do is motivated by fear, yeah. and we're trying to get rid of our fear, then we're getting rid of our motivations to do anything. I had already covered that, that there, there is a great paradox between my theory and what we just covered in this episode. Uh, and I'm going to chalk that up. You're, you're basically trying to demotivate us. This is a demotivator. Is it? That's based on your theory. Your theory. <laughs> my theory. <laughs> I don't really have a speech impediment. <laughs> or are we in an, am I just setting you guys up for an endless cycle? Yeah, yeah. So you're going to try to overcome your fear, but it's impossible because everything you do in life is motivated by it. But you're still going to try to under- overcome your fear. It's a new fear to have. It's the, a new the, fear to fact. Because the, fear, the, the fear of not being able to conquer your fears. Oh. Fear phobia. Fear phobia. <laughs> a fear phobia fury. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Next episode. I'm kidding. Trying to make it longer. All right. Here's our quote. Quote. Fear, to a great extent, is born... Of a story we tell ourselves. That's a good quote. End quote. That's by Cheryl Strayed. 
Most of you probably don't know who Sherald Strait is, but you probably do know the novel or the movie called Wild, in which the author, Cheryl Strait, wrote a, an autobiography about her trip or hike or whatever you want to call it, her time uh, taking on the Pacific Crest Trail. I have two friends doing that right now. No way! Yeah, they've been sending us updates. Did you ever watch, did you watch the movie Wild? No. With... It could be with anybody. I haven't seen it. She's blonde. She was in... What's the Tom Cruise movie where he's the lawyer? Uh, A Few Good Men. No, Jerry Maguire. Who's the female actress in Jerry Maguire? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, her name's like right there on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, you can pause and Google. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. It's not that important. Anyway, I think she was the actress in the movie. And um, actually, I might be completely wrong. Okay, wait. I'm going to Google. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wild the movie. If you want this podcast episode to last longer, keep listening. Yeah, I know, right? We're pretty much done talking at this point, if you'd like to sign up. Reese Witherspoon. So I was wrong ah. about who it was, but it was Reese Witherspoon in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember... It's Wait, still we, uh, Blonde Woman, but... Bring, okay. bring it back in. What does it have to do with uh, Cheryl? Um, so the movie... The Wild, she plays Cheryl. She plays Cheryl. Got it. Yeah, good movie. All right. Anyway, overcoming, uh, conquering fear, overcoming adversity. It's all there in that movie. Mm. Guys, thank you for listening. Let's give a big round of applause for Adam. Don't, Groba. I don't deserve Pop it. it in. I don't deserve it. I'll be back soon, hopefully with Adam to talk about, uh, I think we've got two more episodes, maybe one in our series on mental toughness. Guys, as always, thank you for listening. If you've got any questions, let me know. Talk to you later. Bye.